Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. What a great message. Not, not a great song. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, choir and orchestra. And I, I, Maybe y'all don't get as excited as I do about that stuff, but I'm telling you, I've been where there's, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Are y'all awake? Okay, yeah. I've had two services today when, for some reason, the rain has muted them. <laughs> so I need a little help. They've drained me. I don't have much left, so I'm going to have to pull it out of me. Listen, last week we talked about dangerous and difficult days and the, and the characteristics of those days and how people are. And then continuation of that today is how do you stay dedicated to the Lord in these kind of days? And you'll notice right off the bat in verse 10 he says, but you, which is a contrast, you are different, Timothy. You're not going to be like all of these perilous times and people that are mentioned in verses 1 through 9. Notice what he says. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from infancy or childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like the King James word, thoroughly equipped, because it does it through you. Bobby's in the second grade. He's standing out in the hall, sticking his stomach out as far as he can stick it out. <laughs> Teacher walks by and says, Bobby, why are you sticking your stomach out? Principal told me to. <laughs> what do you mean the principal told you to? This morning I told him I had a stomach ache. He told me if to stick it out till noon, then I could go home. <laughs> Maybe you are sticking it out today. Maybe you're hanging in there. How do you stick it out through difficult times? Well, I believe there's some truth right here to help you live in difficult times. And the first thing is you must live with careful association. Who are you going to hang out with? But you, even Timothy, following Paul's teaching and following Paul's life, Paul still reminds him, Timothy, you need to continue in this. You know what that tells me? It tells me that past faithfulness is no guarantee for future faithfulness. 
Just because you've been faithful to the church for years, or you've served faithfully for years, or maybe you've been faithful in your marriage for years, doesn't mean it's an automatic guarantee of faithfulness in the days ahead. You've got to stay committed to do that. You be careful who you hang out with. You be careful who you follow. A new missionary recruit headed to Venezuela. They sent him over to Venezuela thinking he would learn this language quicker if he was just there among the people. And so his first Sunday in Venezuela, he goes into a church and he gets there a little late. And you know as well as I do, if you don't get here early, especially in a Baptist church, you're not going to sit anywhere but the front row because everybody else gets the high dollar seats in the back. Well, he sat on the front row, and he decided, you know, I can't understand a word they're saying, so I'm just going to find somebody in this congregation that I'm just going to do what they do. And sure enough, right next to him was a man who looked normal, and he looked like he'd been there for a long time, and so he thought, I'm just going to do what he does. And sure enough, when they stood up to sing, this man was clapping, this missionary recruit, he's clapping with him. And then when it's time to sit down, and then when it's time to pray, everybody, he stands up with the man, everybody's praying. Then this man's holding the communion cup and the bread, and, and, and he does everything he tells him to do. During the sermon, he can't understand a word the preacher's saying, but he's sitting there acting like he's listening. At the end of the sermon, it's pretty obvious that the pastor's making some announcements, and the man begins to clap, and so the missionary recruit claps. And then the preacher says some words that he didn't understand, and he saw the man next to him stand up, and so he stood up also. And when he did, there was a collective silence and a gasp in the congregation. He looked around, and he saw that no one else was standing but him and that man, so he sat down. At the end of the service, going out the door, the preacher was shaking hands with people, and the missionary recruit came by the pastor, and the pastor said, I take it you don't speak Spanish. He said, that's correct. Is it that obvious? And the preacher said, yeah, it kind of is. I announced that the Acosta family had a newborn baby boy and asked the proud father to please stand up. (laughs) You can be led astray. If you follow somebody that's ungodly, the chances are you're going to be ungodly. If you follow someone that's arrogant, you're going to be arrogant. But if you follow somebody who's following Jesus, The chances are good that you're going to wind up doing that same thing, that it's going to lead you in the right direction. And Paul lists several things that Timothy had been following about Paul, and I believe these ought to be some of the characteristics that you follow if you're following somebody that's following Jesus. There's going to be some things that are evident. They teach the truth. Paul said, you know my doctrine. You listen to what a man teaches. You listen, to, you listen carefully to what he teaches. He may have the gift of, of eloquent speaking. He may can keep you entertained, but you listen to what they're teaching. Because a lot of times today, and it aggravates me to no end, just to be honest with you, that there are people that will stand up in pulpits around this nation today, and they will kind of take a Reader's Digest approach to the Bible. They'll make a quote every now and then to make a point, but that's it. They don't ever open up the Word of God. They don't teach you the Word of God. They skip all the difficult passages. You need to teach the whole counsel and purpose of God. 
Did he explain the text? Did he apply the text so that I come away with an understanding and meaning in my life? Can I apply it to my life? You see, a godly teacher is going to teach you the Word of God, teach you the truth. They're also, they have nothing to hide. Paul said, you know my manner of life, which the word means way of life. You should be able to look at a person's life and tell if they're following Jesus. If somebody is surprised to find out that you're following the Lord, something's wrong. Because there's going to come a time when they're going to know. You watched how this person spends their money. You watch the kind of entertainment they enjoy. You watch how they relate to family or friends or strangers. Are they rude? Are they insensitive? Are they oblivious to people around them? Because I want to tell you, when Christianity, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes all of that. They have purpose. Paul said, you know my purpose, which you you read in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, and 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and Philippians 3, 8, just to name a few. You find Paul had one purpose in life, and that was to glorify Jesus Christ and to bring people to him. He said, my life is all about living for Jesus. That's my purpose, and it fit in all the rest of his life. They practice what they preach. Paul said, you know my faith. You know that I love God. You know that I love men. You know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. You know about my faith that it's real. They have long-suffering. That's a Greek word that comes from, actually it means, it comes, uh, it's two Greek words. Long-suffering comes from two Greek words. One of them means long and the other is passion or anger. Long to anger, long to passion. It, It means a patient man doesn't have a short fuse. He bears with difficult people without exploding in anger. It, let me just tell you, you're going to deal with difficult people. And they're becoming more and more difficult as the day goes by. He said they have love. The first of the fruit of the Spirit Love's lifted above all the other virtues. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 5, by this will people know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Agape, the love of choice, the love that seeks the highest good for other people. They have perseverance. Word perseverance, sometimes translated patience, occurs 49 times in the New Testament. It means to endure, to stay under the load. Hupomano, stay under the load. In other words, it means just what they sing about, trusting God when things aren't going the way you want them or... There's no immediate solution in sight. I don't know where these people that claim, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it, they don't think you ever have any trouble. After all, if you have trouble, it's your lack of faith. I got a question for them. If I'm never going to have any trouble and I'm never going to have any situations that are difficult, then why does the Bible tell me I need perseverance? And why does the Bible need that I, why does the Bible tell me I need long suffering and patience and steadfastness? I'll tell you why. Because we're not immune to all that. But what we have is a Lord 
that gives us the power to go through it. In fact, one last thing he mentions about him, he, godly people aren't afraid of persecution. Paul said, you know my sufferings and my persecution. And he lists three places, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The first time that on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch. This is in Acts 13, 50. They ran them out of town, ran them flat out of town. So they went to Iconium, and because of the, the intense persecution, they had to flee before the people in Iconium stoned them, Acts 14, 5 and 6. So next they go to the town of Lystra. Lystra is Timothy's hometown, where Timothy grew up. And they stoned Paul there, drug him out of the city, left him outside for dead. They thought he was dead. That's how much they stoned him. So he was unconscious. But Acts 14, 19 to 20 says that God miraculously raised him up. Now I want to ask you, did that stop Paul? <laughs> it didn't bother. I mean, it, sure, it bothered him, but it didn't stop him. Paul says that the Lord rescued him out of them. It meant that God brought him through them. He didn't bypass them. God said, I'm with you there. Now I want to ask you something. Who are your examples that you follow? You know, I'm, I'm learning some new technology, new, new terminology, not te well, technology too, but I, there didn't used to be this word influencers. What are you going to grow? What are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to be an influencer. I'm still not sure how all that works other than doing crazy stuff on the internet, I guess. Maybe it's not all crazy. But really and truly, you are an influencer. But who are your influencers? Who do you follow? Who are you listening to? Who are you, you, you thinking, well, you know, I just like the way they talk and I like, and are you listening to what they really say? And the fact that you are an example, none of us may ever be as well-known as Paul or as a great an example as Paul, but we all ought to be faithful enough that somebody, if they imitated our life, they would be heading toward Jesus. Scary thought, isn't it? Be careful who you hang out with. And in these difficult days, you make sure you stay with people who are following Jesus. Amen? It also says you must have a conscious awareness. I, you can expect something. This is not good news for you, by the way. In verse 12, notice the word all and the word will. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I wish it had said some and maybe or might. I believe we're living in the shadow, the diminishing shadow of the end of the age. I believe we see the signs all around us, and I believe that one of those signs is the growing persecution of Christians and Christianity. So many Christians are folding up when they ought to be standing up today. Those who are settled in the faith need to teach children to be settled in the faith. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What does salt do? 
Salt irritates a wound, doesn't it? And light exposes things in the darkness. And you need to face it. Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. Why? Did you know the world hates Jesus? It hates Jesus. Oh, not the guy in the manger, not the little baby in the manger, and not the guy who heals people, and not the guy who feeds the multitude, but, but the Jesus who exposes sin and came to destroy the works of Satan. world hates him. They don't want to be told they're sinners. They don't want to have their sin exposed. Paul says to Timothy, evil men are going to grow worse and worse. And then he said, the imposters. That word imposters sometimes is translated magicians or jugglers or soothsayers. You watch out for those con men. That's what he's saying. Be careful for those people who will deceive you. And listen, just because somebody has a ministry doesn't mean it's legitimate. Because if it's not based on God's Word, it's not legitimate. You need to have an awareness. You may go through some persecution. You may not be beaten or tortured or imprisoned or executed. And by the way, that is going on around the world right now to Christians. You need to understand that. It's happening today. But you might be overlooked for a promotion You might be ridiculed. You might be the butt of a joke. You might be laughed at. You might be socially rejected. They may not want to be your friend on Facebook. They may not want to be your friend, period. But the fact is, you keep living for Christ. And when you you face persecution, three words I want to give you. Remember, rejoice, and remain. Remember, rejoice, and remain. You remember who you are. You're a child of the King. You rejoice in the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And you remain true to the Lord. I remind you that Peter and John, as soon as they, after Pentecost, they were preaching, they were arrested for preaching. They were beaten and thrown into jail. And when they couldn't find any more charges against them, they released them. But the scripture says that the council marveled that they were uneducated fishermen, but they realized they had been with Jesus. See, under persecution, Peter and John reacted in such a way that these people realized they'd been with Jesus. You take when Stephen was stoned in Acts, the first martyr we call it because it's the first recorded martyrdom. When Stephen was being stoned, you know who was standing there watching him? Saul, who later became Paul. And Saul watched Stephen look up into heaven and say, don't hold this against them. Receive my spirit. And then Not long after that, on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked Paul, why do you keep kicking against the goads? Why do you keep keep fighting this? But Stephen acted in such a way that it influenced Paul. You never know when you're going through a difficult time how your reaction to that will influence other people. In fact, I can tell you there are people who've been saved because they've seen other families go through hard times and the way that they handled it 
they realize, I don't know, I don't have what you have. I need Jesus in my life. Verses 14 and 15, you see a continued allegiance. Notice, see, Paul reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage. Timothy's mother was a Jew. And the glory of the Jews was that their children from their earliest days were trained in the law. They claimed that their children learned the law even from their swaddling clothes, and they drank it in with their mother's milk. They claimed that the law was so imprinted on the heart and mind of a Jewish child that they would forget their name before they would forget the law. And Timothy learned this from infancy, from childhood. That's a reference to his godly mother, Eunice, and his godly grandmother, Lois. They started teaching him the truth when he was a tiny baby. Some of you moms are doing that right now. Some of you grandmothers are doing that right now. And I thank God for you. I thank God my mom's sitting in here, my dad. They taught me as a child. And he's saying, Timothy, what you learned, what you learned, you continue that allegiance to the truth of God. You stay with it. Don't forsake it. It's so sad to me that so many young people today, they walk out of home and they go into these what's called universities now. And everything's attacked that they've ever been taught and they walk away from it. Paul told Timothy in verse 14, he said, the word of God gives you confidence in the days of difficulty. In fact, this is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. And notice how Paul puts it. The Bible brings wisdom that leads to salvation that comes to us through Christ and is received by faith. And said another way, God's word saves us. How? By words that are written down, the Holy Scriptures. By the wisdom that's in the written words, able to make you wise. By the gospel... The words reveal, wise for salvation, by the faith the gospel produces through faith in Christ. Everything you need to know about going to heaven is here. It's in this. You don't need any extra opinions. The truth of the word of God can save you. It can forgive you. It can justify you. It can sanctify you. It can purify you. It can transform you, regenerate you, and one day it'll take you all the way home to heaven for eternity. That's the truth in this book. And folks, if you're going to remain dedicated in difficult days, you first got to be careful who you're going to hang out with, who you're going to follow, who your association is. You need to remember that you may run into some difficult times, some persecution. People don't like Jesus. They're not going to like you. You need to remember to stay with what you were taught as a child in the the home about the ways of God and not forsake that. And finally, you need to conscientiously adhere to the Word of God. Think about it. Verse 15 teaches the sufficiency of God's Word. Verse 16 and 17 teaches the authority of God's Word. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to come back and look at verses 16 and 17, and I want you to rest assured when you leave, you're going to believe the Bible (laughs) if you don't already. Because I want you to know the Bible is trustworthy. So that's part three of this 
chapter, next Sunday. But notice a couple of things right quick. First of all, the origin of Scripture. Where did it come from? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theophnustos, which means God breathed. God breathed. It means that God breathed out the words and men wrote them down. He didn't dictate them. We're going to talk about this next week. He didn't dictate them, but he inspired every last one of them. This is the highest possible view of Scripture. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Other books are out of date. This book's never gone out of date. Other books are written for certain age group. The aged and the young alike like this book. The thought is divine. The revelation is divine. The expression is human. And God works all that to, together. It's, in the, it's amazing how from Genesis to Revelation, it is all one mind and a unity about it. But make no mistake about it, this isn't just a book. This book came from God. It did. But I also want you to notice the objective of Scripture. The Bible is essentially a handbook of salvation. It tells you how to get to God. The whole Bible unfolds the divine scheme, man's creation in God's image. God created us. Man's fall through disobedience into sin and judgment. God's continuing love for man in spite of his rebellion. God's eternal plan to save him through his covenant of grace with a chosen people culminating in Christ. The coming of Christ as Savior who died to bear man's sin, was raised from death, exalted to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. Man's rescue first from guilt and alienation, then from bondage. And because the Bible comes directly from God, it equips us to do every good work. You want to know God's will? Look in the Bible. <laughs> you want to fulfill your mission in life? Study the Bible. You want to know what God wants you to do? Study the Bible. You want to live a life that's better and pleasing to God? Study the Bible. You want a freedom from sin? Study the Bible. You want God to be pleased with your life? Study the Bible. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Paul mentions four things quickly. First of all, revelation, doctrine. The mind of God, the things of God. The Bible, the Bible is God's revelation to man. God coming to us and telling us that we love, love him. Everything we know about God comes from the Bible. Doctrine, revelation. Preacher's son heard his dad preaching about justification, sanctification, glorification, all those Asians. One day in Sunday school, teacher said, can y'all tell me what procrastination is? The preacher's son said, I'm not sure what it means, but I know our church believes in it. <laughs> well, the Bible is, is written by God, and it needs to be taught. You cannot be right with God and sound in doctrine unless you are a student of God's Word. 
It's also for reproof. It exposes all that is unholy. And to expose ungodly men and their sins, it, to expose religious error, to expose false teachers, the idea behind the word reproof is the idea of rebuking some way, someone in such a way that it brings you under conviction. Let me ask you this. You've ever read your Bible and got under conviction? It's the most convicting book you'll ever read. Mercy. It exposes sin. It exposes words, attitudes, actions that are still wrong, and it convicts us in a way that is profitable for us because if we didn't know we were doing something wrong, we wouldn't know we needed to correct it. And why do you think people want to get rid of the Bible today? Because if you get rid of the Bible, then you have nothing to tell you what you're doing is wrong. But then it's also used for restoration, for correction, to put you back on the right path, to put you back on sound doctrine, to set things right. All theories, all theologies, all ethics are to be tested by the Bible. And if they contradict the Bible, it needs to be corrected. You see, the The idea of correction is to reveal to a person they're going the wrong direction so they can be restored to go in the right direction. There are two kinds of facilities. There's a detention center and a correctional facility. A detention center is when somebody who's broken the law, they're placed in holding and they're held there until they go to court. A correctional facility has as its goal to correct someone of their problem with the idea of restoring them to become a very productive member of society. Well, the Bible is a correctional facility book. How do you know you're headed down the wrong direction? Well, I'll just step out in it. How do we know that our nation's definition of marriage is wrong? How do we know that? Because the correct view is right here. God's the one who created marriage. He ought to know what he's talking about. I use that as one example. Just because it becomes law of the land doesn't mean it's right. And I get so irritated with Christians who think, well, it's the law of the land. It must be okay. That's when I'd like to hit them with this book. (laughs) Don't follow my example on that. The last thing is for righteous instruction. And the word instruction is the same word for child training. You train a man, a child in the righteousness they grow up. You train a man in righteousness until he's equipped for every good work. You're going to grow only as much as you study. The Bible is written to teach us the righteous standards and the righteous ways of God. Now, I'm going to give you something here. You'll want to write this down. 
because Paul's attention to the phrases used to describe the practical impact of the Bible. These phrases, for example, God's Word tells us what is right, teaching, doctrine. God's Word tells us what is wrong, reproof or rebuke. Or let me do it this way. God teaches us what is right, what is not right, what is not right. God's Word tells us how to get right, correction, and God's Word tells us how to stay right, instruction in righteousness. Now, that's good. You can use that in a devotional sometime, can't you? God's Word tells us what is right, doctrine or teaching, what is not right, rebuking or reproof, how to get right, correction, and how to stay right, training in righteousness. And the result of that is that a man and woman is thoroughly equipped to live in difficult days. A soldier's got to have the right equipment to win a war or battle. And the Word of God, we're told in Ephesians 6, is the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon. It's what keeps us on track. But a sword is not good as long as it's still in the scabbard. So you have to read the Word, know the Word, and obey the Word. And I will tell you right now that God's Word states there's only one way to be saved from your sin and go to heaven. It is not the church. If you believe the church, any church, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methobacterian, whatever you want to call it, it will not save you. It states that Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man, the sinless Son of God, is the only way to be saved. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. But you have to know Jesus to go to heaven. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.